to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. All of the problems in the world are traced back to the issue of sin. All of the problems in the world, from the beginning of time to the end of time. And so Paul understood that the cross was the answer to all of the problems that human beings face. He understood that the death of Jesus on the cross dealt the death blow to sin. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, in a message titled, The Glory of the Cross. Now, here's Pastor Brian. It's been quite a journey. Uh, I think it's been a helpful journey through Galatians. And these last couple of studies are also, I think, just very important in tying everything together. So we're going to focus on verse 14 ultimately, but I want to look at uh, verse verses 11, 12, and 13 to kind of bring us into what Paul says there in 14. So just to set the background, verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Uh, The significance of this statement takes us back a little bit earlier into the letter where at a certain point, Paul says to them, he's talking about the, the previous affection they had for him and he's expressing, you know, sadness really that they've they've lost that affection because of the influence of the false teachers but but back there he said to them when i was among you and you saw the trial that was in my flesh so he's he seems to be talking about a a physical infirmity which we know he had one because he mentioned that in other places but he says if it were possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me so as a result of that bible expositors have speculated that it was a chronic eye condition, disease that, that Paul suffered with, one of, the, one of the things that he suffered with. And so the significance of verse 11 is that because of this infirmity, normally Paul wouldn't write his own letters, he would dictate them. And yet on this occasion, he says he wrote it with his own hand and the point of saying that is to, to get them to understand the deep affection that he has for them. And despite the fact that they've sort of shunned him, that they've bought into, you know, lies about him, and they've kind of thrown in their hat with these false teachers, Paul's love for them is such that he writes this letter, he pleads with them, he seeks to correct them, but he does it all despite his infirmity. He he writes it in his own hand. So uh, that's probably what is, is being communicated here when he speaks of writing the letter with his own hand. Now, the problem, as we've seen many times before, but Paul ke- continues to address it right to the very end, is the influence of these false teachers. They have come in presenting themselves as more spiritual than Paul, more knowledgeable than Paul, more concerned and loving than Paul. But what Paul's going to remind them of or kind of 
give them insight into right now is that these false teachers are really motivated by nothing other than their own self-centeredness. That's really the, the driving force behind everything that they're doing. And so he pretty much communicates that in verses 12 through 13, where he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. So he says two things. Verse, verse 12, they desire to make a good showing in the flesh. The false teachers were motivated by the desire for people to think that they were spiritually and morally superior to everyone else. That was what was driving them. And also, they wanted to have as many followers as they could so they could boast in their own popularity. So Paul is showing here in these final verses as he's already you know, pushed back strongly against their teaching and uh, corrected their mistaken understanding. Now he's just really more dealing with them personally and what, what's really driving them. And again, he says they're, they're being driven by personal glory. They are, are seeking their own glory rather than the glory of Christ. Now, verse 14, where we're going to focus our attention today, here Paul get, contrasts himself with them. So they're, they're looking to promote themselves and glorify themselves. Paul says, but God forbid that I should glory or that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the, the thing that was driving them ultimately was pride. And that was the, the, the basis for their seeking, you know, self-glory and, and so forth. And, and pride is always sort of the root of all of the problems that, that we have. Pride, of course, was the original sin. Pride is how the devil became the devil. According to the Bible, the person that we call the devil or Satan was at one time a glorious creature who was submitted to God and living for the glory of God. But at a certain point, his pride got the better of him and he was cast out of heaven and he became the devil. So pride is the problem. You kill pride and you kill a ton of problems. You actually kill most problems. And, and the way to kill pride is to recognize that we have really nothing to be proud of. There's only one thing that we should be boasting about, and that's the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's where Paul was. Now, now it's interesting because Paul, even more so than these false teachers, Paul actually did have many things to boast in. He could have, if he wanted to put his confidence in other things, he was a guy who really had the past credentials, the past experience to be able to do it. The, the false teachers were, were not only false teachers, but they were phonies. They came along presenting that they were special in Jerusalem, that they had a cl close connection with the the chief apostles from Jerusalem, they came on sort of presenting themselves as experts in the law. None of that was true of them. 
all of that was actually true of Paul. But he never, he never brought any of that stuff up because when Paul went to Galatia to preach the gospel, his objective was to preach Christ and get them to trust in Christ, not to preach himself and get them to trust in him. The false teachers were just the opposite. So as a result of, of having to defend his apostleship, he finally does you know, tell them certain things about himself, his relationship with the other apostles, his background in Judaism, his uh, authority to speak on the topic. He does all of that throughout the epistle. And he could have, as I said, he could have boasted in many things. Let me just give you a few examples of what he could have boasted in. Number one, Paul was a Roman citizen, and Roman citizenship was a huge thing in that time. Of course, Rome was the, the world empire, and to be a citizen of Rome was very special. The number of citizens were, was relatively small. People were subjects of the Roman empire, but there were very few people who were citizens of Rome in comparison. And so Paul could have boasted in the fact that he had Roman citizenship. In some cases, Roman citizenship was, it was so coveted people would, you know, wouldn't spare life and limb to try to attain to Roman citizenship. But Paul was actually born a Roman citizen. In the book of Acts, in the, I think it's about chapter 21, or 22, where Paul is, uh, he's preaching in Jerusalem, he's arrested because his preaching results in a riot, and they're trying to ascertain what, what it was that caused the problem. So they were going to take Paul and they were going to publicly flog him. They were going to beat him. And yet the person that was going to administer the beating found out that Paul was a Roman citizen. So he went back to his superiors and said, hey, we need to be careful about this guy because he's a Roman citizen. And so then the captain came in and said to Paul, he said, so you're a Roman citizen, huh? And the captain said this, he said, I would, with a great sum of money purchased my citizenship. And Paul says to him in response, I was born a citizen. So that was a pretty significant thing, something certainly that Paul could have boasted in. But not only was he a Roman citizen, he was a cultured person. He came from one of the most significant parts of the empire, one of the great cities of the Roman Empire, the city of Tarsus, one of the, you know, handful of the, the major cultural centers and, you know, centers of Roman life and so forth, Tarsus. That's where Paul had originally come from. So he had that background there. We know that Paul was multilingual. He was also a university trained. He was a doctor of theology. In the Jewish context, he was at the, the apex of Judaism by being one of the key religious figures of his day. He was a part of a, a, of a spiritually elite group called the Pharisees. There were only about 600 Pharisees. Paul was one of them. And not only was Paul a Pharisee, but he came from a line of Pharisees. His father was a Pharisee as well, and perhaps even his grandfather. And then it's likely that Paul also was a member of the, of the Jewish Sanhedrin, which would have been the, another elite group of 70 members, kind of like the, would have been equivalent to like the Senate. This is who Paul was. And so you could understand that he might find it relatively easy to boast about these things, to sort of point to these things as means of legitimizing his message, uh, uh, of proving his importance and things like that. 
but he never did. He refused to do that. As a matter of fact, in writing to the Philippians who had also been not, they, they weren't seduced like the Galatians were, but there was an attempt by these same kind of false teachers to lead the Philippians astray. Paul had to give a similar defense, but to them, he said, concerning the things that were gained to me, he's talking about his previous life in Judaism and his position. Concerning the things that were gained to me, he says, I count them lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count it all as rubbish. So for Paul, none of this stuff mattered. And, and listen, this is important to think about because this is the kind of stuff that really everybody is hung up on today, not just back in the first century. These are the kinds of things that people boast in. These are the types of things that people are, are looking for as their, you know, this is their identity and this is therefore their significance. And we'll look in detail at that in a moment. But again, Paul refused to boast in that. He said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that also is a really radical statement, especially in that time. It doesn't strike us as radically as it probably should because we're so far removed from the cross in that context. So for us today, after 2,000 years of church history and after becoming very familiar with crosses that are you know, jewelry or that are symbols of, you know, the Christian faith or a church or something like that. that. That's, when we think of a cross, that's really just what we think of, right? But in Paul's day, the cross was simply an instrument of execution. That, that's, that's all it was. So if you think about glorying in the cross, this was something that was so just completely out of bounds for, for what... Nobody would ever think that you would glory in the cross or more specifically that your hope or your confidence would be put in a man that was crucified because the people that were crucified were criminals. And the cross was such a contemptible way to die. Anybody who died on a cross was just held in extreme contempt because the cross was reserved for the worst criminals. The Roman statesman Cicero said regarding the cross, he said, let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from his thoughts, his eyes, his ears. So here Paul is talking about boasting in the cross, glorying in the cross. This is my, this is, Paul is saying, this is where my identity is. This is where my significance is. And, and that was radical in those days. In his letter to the Corinthians, the Corinthians were the uh, intellectuals. They were the Greeks. And Paul writes about the cross to them. He said, for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He said, for the, the Greeks seek wisdom and the Jews, they're looking for a sign so the cross to the Jew is a stumbling block and to the Greek, it's foolishness. So when Paul went about this, this Greek-influenced world, and remember the Greeks were the ones who brought us philosophy, when Paul went about that Greek-speaking world talking about the hope of the world, the salvation of the world is based on a guy who died on a cross, 
a Jew who died on a cross, no less, that was just utterly contemptible to people. And it was so contemptible that even people like these Judaizers who were claiming some sort of allegiance to the cross, they were downplaying the significance of it and they were putting something else above it because they felt the contempt themselves. And so, yes, the cross had a place, but of course they had their own righteousness that they could contribute as well. So when Paul says he boasted, you can see how radical a statement that was. But why did Paul boast in the cross and nothing else? Why did he refuse, even though he had opportunity to boast in a number of different things as we've seen, why did he boast in the cross? Because Paul understood the cross. And when we understand the cross for what it really is, then we will boast in the cross. And we will recognize the folly of boasting in anything else. So what did Paul know? Well, Paul knew what we all need to realize, if we haven't already, that all of the problems in the world are traced back to the issue of sin. All of the problems in the world, from the beginning of time to the end of time, as we look at the world and as people are perplexed and trying to figure out you know, why things are the way they are and why, why all the trouble and the misery and the suffering and the wars and what, whatever else you want to lump in there, why all of this? Well, the Bible says sin is the problem. And Paul understood that, but he understood that it was the cross that dealt with sin. And so Paul understood that the cross was the answer to all of the problems that human beings face. He understood that the death of Jesus on the cross dealt the death blow to sin. And so all that sin had done to ruin our lives was dealt with at the cross. Paul understood that sin has permeated every aspect of our lives as human beings, that it has affected us physically. Of course, the Bible teaches that disease and ultimately death are connected to sin. The Bible teaches that our inability to see things correctly, spiritual blindness is due to sin. The Bible teaches that our our inability to discern between right and wrong, truth and error, the compromising of our conscience and all of that has occurred through sin. And the Bible tells us that our wills are bound up because of sin. And then ultimately, again, sin and death are connected to one another. And so Paul says he's boasting in the cross. That's indirectly what he's saying, right? That he's not gonna boast anything but the cross. And he did so, first of all, because he understood that it was through the cross that the the enemies of sin and death were overthrown. And when we understand that that's how the, the human predicament is dealt with, it's not through philosophy, it's not through politics, it's not through whatever other thing that human beings have tried to fix the problem with, it, it happens through the cross. Paul understood the glory of the cross in that it was the solution to all of man's problems. And ultimately, again, to death as well. So Paul is boasting in the cross because it was there at the cross that death was defeated. It was there at the cross that death died. And the power of sin was broken. So our lives 
do not have to be under the tyranny of sin as they once were. So that's one. Secondly, the cross, Paul knew that it was the love of God that was ultimately shown at the cross, or the cross was the place where God's love was ultimately shown. The religion of Jesus Christ is the only religion in the world that clearly presents God as a God of love. Did you know that? It's interesting because religious people will talk about a God of love, but know this, whenever a person who's not a Christian talks about a God of love, they are actually borrowing from the Christian faith because other religions do not teach that God is love in his very essence, and certainly they don't have any example to point to historically that would prove that God is love. So there's just this assumption by people that God is love. Years ago, I was in Eastern Europe, this is back in the, in the 80s, and it was back um, when communism and, and all of that was just sort of beginning to implode. And so the, these young people had been brought up in a communist system, and their, their interest in spiritual things had to do with black magic and things of, of that nature. And, and I never, I'll never forget having a conversation with one young woman and, and talking to her about Christ, talking to her about God, of course, talking about the Bible. And she pretty aggressively said to me, you know, don't talk to me about the Bible or God or your God. I don't want to hear that. I don't believe in that God. I just believe in a God of love. That's what she said. And I said, well, where did you ever get the idea that God was love? She said, oh, everybody knows that. I said, well, as a matter of fact, everybody doesn't know that. I said, and, and as another matter of fact, the only place you can find that God is a God of love is in the Bible that you're telling me not to talk to you about. So, you know, we had a good conversation after that, but, <laughs> but that's the truth. And Paul understood that, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Paul saw the cross as the ultimate display of God's love, and it certainly was wasn't it? Because Jesus said, greater love is no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And that's what happened at the cross. So Paul understood that. So he's not going to glory in anything but that. Paul also understood that the cross is the means by which we can finally have access to God. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom. That's the cross. He's the one mediator, and he mediates because he paid the price for us to be able to have access to God. And so Paul understood that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The cross is also the place where the God-required righteousness was provided. And Paul understood this, and he wrote extensively about it. But you see, the Bible teaches us that we cannot access God because of our sin. And in order to be in God's presence, you have to have a, a righteousness. And it's actually a perfect righteousness. The problem is we don't have a perfect righteousness. So what is the solution? Well, the cross is the solution because it was at the cross that God made Christ who knew no sin to become the sin offering for us that we might become the righteousness that God requires in him.
For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. Coincidence, do things in life simply happen by chance? Or is there actually a loving God behind the scenes who is weaving His goodness into the details of our lives? Well, in his book, The Myth of Coincidence, John Bonner testifies of the God who uses our failures, weaknesses, and tragedies to intentionally create a life of fruitfulness. If you want to be encouraged that this same God is working in your life in purposeful ways, this book will remind you that God is indeed at work in your life too. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Myth of Coincidence by John Bonner. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.